This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Terry's used knife and sword emporium studio in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Sad news to report to start the show. Cory Booker is out of the Democratic primary. No! Uh, what was he pulling at, like 2% the whole time, 1%? Not very highly, not at all. Now we play the game of where will the 1% of supporters go? I think uh, a good summation of the Cory Booker campaign and how uh, bad it was, for lack of a better term, is Chris Saliza <laughs> tweeting a praise for it that Booker had some message of love and hope an inspiration and he certainly tried to this is how booker certainly tried to brand himself that way but we all remember the debate when booker criticized president obama's diplomacy with iran as being too soft okay everyone saw through cory booker yeah even normies are like this shit is lame (laughs) this shit is real corny sorry (laughs) Uh, Bernie gave an interview with the New York Times editorial board. They're making a big show of who they're going to endorse. People are pulling out a lot of excerpts from the interview. Uh, My favorite one was them asking Bernie about cancel culture, and he had never heard of the term before whatsoever. Bless him. (laughs) Imagining some of the most broken people on Twitter desperately trying to explain to Bernie Sanders what cancel culture is and why it's so important imagining sean mccarthy (laughs) well you see bernie haranguing bernie sanders about nick mullen or something you see you see bernie labor rights is about protecting uh teachers who say they want ice in their schools that's that those are labor rights bernie and uh cancel culture speaking of bernie it's becoming pretty clear that he has a chance to win this thing. A lot of us have known about this for a while. Speaking of cancel culture, they're trying to cancel Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> now the people who are just catching on, the uh, the people in power, the business class, the billionaires, the owners of media, they have now taken a different tack, clearly, toward Bernie from just ignoring him to now spreading lies about him or trying to hype up some of the most bullshit stories about him and so far this is this is this is the the worst case so this is the worst example of it so far the story coming out as we were walking into the studio here sources telling cnn that over a year ago when bernie sanders and elizabeth warren met to for warren to talk about her plans to run for president bernie sanders told her that a woman can't win a woman can't be elected president cnn quoting a couple of sources who uh, are familiar with the meeting between sanders and warren very odd Um, how they didn't give their names or allow cnn to identify them i wonder why the article says that the article claims that sanders expressed frustration at what he saw as a growing focus among democrats on identity politics According to one of the people familiar with the conversation, Warren told Sanders she disagreed with his assessment that a woman could not win 
three of the four sources said <laughs> this was written for maximum effect on Twitter, by the way, the, the, the language that's used in this article. As I said on Twitter, it reads like a fucking Zerlina Maxwell thread here. Uh, this is total utter bullshit. And this the timing of it suggests this is coming from people close to the Warren campaign. This on the heels of the completely manufactured scandal around some people at some Sanders phone bank who might have written a script that was very deferential to Elizabeth Warren for phone banking if they encounter someone who supports Warren, but has been turned into a huge controversy on cable news and among Warren files on Twitter. It was reportedly uh, in the uh, Bernie Sanders campaign slack and then also like deleted immediately. But for some reason, a lot of uh, the, the most dipshitted people on social media seem to think this is a smoking gun yeah. of Bernie trying to just totally undermine Elizabeth Warren. And now we're seeing <laughs> someone from the other side of the equation obviously trying to undermine Bernie with just lies. I mean, yeah. the, these I mean, absolutely this... seem like lies because Bernie has given... His his position on the the issue, so to speak, in that representation in politics is important, but it's not the only thing that matters. Because if it was, I don't know why you know why don't you support Ben Carson? Yeah, it, it's reductive it, as hell. Also, Bernie's campaign has been very much invested in identity politics. They they use that as a lens very often. Uh, on the campaign. Correct. Um, but look, this is either this is either coming from the Warren campaign and should backfire when Warren is pressed on this or asked about it, assuming she's even going to be asked about this on the debate stage. She's either going to have to own up to it, which I'm pretty confident this didn't happen, and I don't think that's going to go well because uh, the Sanders campaign has adamantly denied this. The Warren campaign... Uh, didn't comment on it, yet CNN decided to run with the article based on these unnamed sources. Um, or Warren's going to have to say that Bernie didn't say this, in which case this really makes this attempt look desperate and failed. I have seen people suggest that maybe this is not from the Warren campaign and maybe from people who are trying to instigate more bad blood between the Sanders camp and the Warren camp possible which is possible but the timing of this just makes me think it's it's from the Warren campaign I don't know we'll we'll, well, we'll see more when the Warren campaign responds to this because now there's pressure on Warren to either confirm or deny whether Bernie said this because she was there and we, we also saw uh, Julian Castro sort of seize on the Bernie slack text as an excuse to attack Bernie. So it, well, it is possible that the, the Warren campaign has decided as a strategy that it's now or never, and they have to go on the offensive. Uh, it's also possible someone went rogue within the campaign, in which case maybe, who knows, maybe in a few hours we'll see Elizabeth Warren fire someone. Uh, but it's also possible, as you said, someone's trying to drop a turd in the punch bowl to, to unsettle the left. I imagine that Pete Buttigieg's campaign and Joe Biden's campaign are probably pretty good at rat fucking. And we're going to see some real dirty tricks coming from them uh, toward Bernie. 
I imagine the Elizabeth Warren campaign is not good at this stuff at all. And we'll end up throwing out a lot of duds like this. Then again, don't underestimate cable news and liberal Twitter and just lapping this shit up and trying to get all the mileage they can out of this. I, I certainly agree that this will definitely come to a head at the debate tomorrow. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll get more of a clearer picture of what's going on here uh, tomorrow night. Hey, just a quick disclosure here. Uh, I did some work for the Michaela Wilkes campaign. Michaela, we've had her on the show a few times. She's running to unseat Steny Hoyer uh, in Maryland. Um, she's running to the left of Steny Hoyer, supports Medicare for All, supports public housing for all, supports a Green New Deal. And uh, I, I, vo- I did some voiceover work on some of uh, her campaign ads. And I guess I should disclose that. I yeah. don't know. No, I mean, you should. I mean, you didn't get paid, no. but I mean, we don't, we, we, we make know, it we, clear who our, who our favorites are, but if we're act, actively doing work for their campaign, we should disclose it as your newsman. Here correct. In DC. Correct. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good practice, yeah. but, uh, we certainly, uh, on a personal level, are definitely inspired by Michaela's campaign. And have made no secret that Ma- we've endorsed her Zero campaign. secret, yeah. and uh, we wish her all the best. Yeah, still, just being transparent here and maybe doing a little humble bragging. Okay, it's Monday, January 13th, 2020. Here's the news. The Trump administration is expecting to unveil the terms of an agreement on Wednesday to de-escalate the U.S.-China trade war. The deal was hashed out in December... Reuters reported that Chinese officials haven't yet publicly discussed the terms of the agreement, quote, because Washington has changed its position multiple times during negotiations when your counterparty is at real Donald Trump. Mnuchin said the deal will impact some $200 billion in U.S. goods over two years, including the purchase by Chinese buyers of 40 to $50 billion in agricultural commodities. Stock markets are already treating the agreement like a horse-sized line of cocaine, even though no one has actually seen the terms of it yet. The Dow has been up more than 1,000 points since December. On Friday, it went above 29,000 points for the first time ever. These numbers don't mean anything, though. (laughs) Anyone who has been listening to the show knows that federal banking regulators have been concerned about the state of the corporate bond market and how underwriting standards of corporate debt have deteriorated in the past few years. So I'm sure this is fine and the stock market will just keep going up forever. Bolstering evidence of this all being fine and normal, Goldman Sachs released an analysis two weeks ago which said, quote, we see the economy as structurally less recession prone today. To answer your question, yes, it is possible to short the entire stock market through index funds. If you aren't suspecting Goldman Sachs of doing this right now, I have some vintage subprime mortgages to sell you. 2006 was a great year. Back to trade issues, there are still many between the U.S. and China. The text of the deal set to be unveiled on Wednesday is called Phase 1. Reuters noted the Trump admin wants to launch Phase 2 later this year. 
Companies that benefit the most from low-wage labor were given a major boost by President Trump's Labor Department on Sunday. Finally, some relief for the companies that need low-wage labor. The body issued a rule that explicitly protects major corporations that rely on franchises or contractors from any lawsuit associated with wage violations from those entities. The biggest beneficiary, McDonald's which was targeted with legal action stemming from persistent labor violations by its franchises. This is a huge win for big business. This was heavily lobbied for since it overturned prior guidance created by the Obama administration toward the joint employer rule, which had opened up companies to liability if the work done at franchises was still an integral part of the company's business, as in, If a guy flipping burgers at the McDonald's franchise in Union Station is doing work that's integral to McDonald's Corp, then McDonald's Corp needs to make sure he's paid in accordance with labor standards. But under the new rules finalized by the Labor Department, the standard is reset back to where it was prior to Obama. The rule stipulates that if a franchise owner is in charge of hiring, firing, setting pay, supervising, and maintaining employment records, then the buck stops at the franchise owner. You can't sue McDonald's proper. Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia and White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal promoting the new rule. They claim that, quote, deregulation has been the unsung economic success story of the Trump administration, end quote. Certainly not an economic success story except for the business class, but... Deregulation has certainly been an underreported success of the Trump administration and its setback labor, environmental, and financial rulemaking back decades in some cases. The tax cuts have been nice, but the billions saved by allowing the hyper-exploitation of workers, the commons, and markets, this is beyond just the standard exploitation under capitalism, The billion saved by allowing all that to continue is the reason they're all sticking by the big wet baby in the White House. Nothing really illustrates how our uh, our how capitalism and feudalism are so similar by this whole franchise system thing. It's like, no, no, no. The McDonald's CEO, you don't answer or he doesn't answer to you. The franchise owner is the one that answers to you. It's the sublord. Uh, the the you know the local the guy who runs your local thief he's the he's the one yeah are we to the, assume the that, that all the sub bosses don't answer to the ultimate boss at the end of the game it's it's absolutely absurd an update on the situation in Iran it's good news that uh, we are no longer on war footing here on the show <laughs> it is. and the Iran situation has now slid to third in the newscast indeed just wanted to point uh, that out that is uh, a positive trend this story still not great late last week the iranian government admitted to downing a ukrainian airliner killing 176 people including many iranians there have been some protests in iran as a response with overall attendance in tehran estimated in the hundreds that's according to the associated press Though the government admitted to the mistake and apologized, no one has resigned over it. The protests that have garnered hundreds of people (laughs) into the streets will be played on Western media outlets with a lot more attention than the demonstrations that brought millions into the streets after Soleimani was killed. Absolutely. 
although no one has yet resigned and someone really should because this is pretty sad. The Iranian government issued a more direct apology than the United States government did in 1988 when the U.S. military accidentally shot down Iran Air Flight 655. 290 people were killed that day. Here's part of a speech a month afterward from then-Vice President George H.W. Bush. I'll never apologize for the United States of America, ever. I don't care what the facts are. Now, to be clear, President Reagan himself had apologized to Iran, but only in response to a question from the press. George H.W. Bush was running for president when he made that statement. And as we all know by now, Republican presidential politics are all about proving what a fucking psycho you are. <laughs> yeah, that is a direct non-apology. Finally today, here's just the news you like to hear when there's a lunatic in the White House trying to start new wars and the U.S. empire is on the verge of collapse. The government announced plans to begin producing a fuck ton of new nuclear weapon cores. Oh, good. Known as plutonium pits. That was the word at the end of last week from the National Nuclear Security Administration. It published its aims in the Federal Register calling for the production of 80 new pits a year by 2030. The agency claimed the uptick is necessary for the following NATSECI jargon reasons, quote, to maintain core competencies in nuclear weapons, maintaining a safe and reliable nuclear weapons stockpile, creating a responsive nuclear weapons infrastructure that is cost-effective and has adequate capacity to meet reasonably foreseeable national security requirements, end quote. That's why we need to produce a lot more nuclear materials. Currently, the Los Alamos facility in New Mexico, long a home to nuclear material production, puts out about 20 pits a year. Under the new plan, it would rise to 30 pits a year, with an additional 50 pits per year being produced at the Savannah River site. Increased pit production has been called for since at least 2008, and a nuclear posture review conducted by President Trump upon taking office Further emboldened the push for more pit production, Congress in 2018 codified the increase. The National Nuclear Security Administration says the decision is ultimately out of their hands. They're just following orders. Quote, the size and composition of the U.S. nuclear weapons stockpile is determined annually by the president. NNSA said it, quote, lacks discretion to consider alternatives outside of national policy. End quote. The plan is projected to cost $43 billion, but what really has people upset beyond the existential dread of more nuclear weapon production is the environmental impact of such production. Some of the biggest environmental messes in the country are sites of nuclear weapon material production, like in Hanford Laboratories in Washington. That shit that's been leaking for like 60 years or something? What yeah. is it? <laughs> Hanford? Yeah, Hanford. Yeah. It's, it's fucked up. It's really bad. The National Nuclear Security Administration is reportedly not performing the required environmental impact reviews. That's despite a 1998 court ruling that requires the Department of Energy to conduct environmental studies if it plans to increase pit production. Groups like the Natural Resources Defense Council, Nuclear Watch New Mexico, and the Savannah River Site Watch are preparing to challenge the move. Jake Coughlin of Nuclear Watch New Mexico said in a statement, quote, the U.S. should carefully preserve its existing, reliable, extensively tested nuclear weapons stockpile while working toward a future world free of them. 
instead of the nuclear weaponeers rubber stamping their self-interested agenda of nukes forever at the taxpayer's expense, end quote. Happy Monday, y'all. All right, that music means the newscast has ended and it's time to move on to the poetry portion of the show. It's the time where we read haiku for all the new subscribers on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Five bucks a month to get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. Plus, you get access to all the Sentinel bonus content, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. All right, this first one is for Herschel. Saw Joker film can now take part in discourse. It was meh. Okay. Thank you, Herschel. This is for Arthur. Senator Sanders, I demand that you denounce dog poo on my lawn. Thank you, Arthur. Finally, this one is for Grant. Two popes. So what's next? Three popes? Maybe four popes? Is this the world you want? Thank you, Grant. Yes, thank you, Grant, and thank you to all the new subscribers at Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. If you recently signed up and did not get your haiku, tune in for tomorrow's show. We've got more poetry coming for Jack, Matt, and Bethany. All right, before we go, let's check out the listener rant line. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. It's just Lonnie, and I'm just calling in to say that as a gay person, I think uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, his husband also being Chastin Buttigieg, uh, and not having his own last name, uh, is extremely weird. And I have only ever heard of it in cases where people were disowned by their families, but he wasn't. His own parents walked him down the aisle. So I don't know why his last name is Buttigieg and not whatever it originally was. And his parents are named Terry and Sherry, which I just think is uh, bizarre. Anyway, bye. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Thank you for the call. I have to admit, I am uh, not an expert on same-sex marriage conventions. I will definitely defer to our caller here. I just I, weirded out by the fact that someone would be so willing to accept a last name that's so difficult to pronounce, like Budisiyaj. Yeah, I was just about to say, I can confirm that is how you pronounce Budisiyaj's name. Nailed uh, it. Which is Buddha CI Edge. Nailed it. Thanks for the call. 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We will play it on air. That is the show. We will be back tomorrow. We're here in D.C. so you don't have to be.